Good evening, everybody. Let's uh, pray as we come to God's word. The Lord gives food to the hungry. He gives sight to the blind. Father, we do pray this, this evening that you would feed our souls from your word. We pray you would open our eyes to see the truth of your word and to see you in all your glory. And you would enable us to be those who sing your praise as long as we live. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, none of us does know how long we will live. In the last uh, few years, we've lost uh, a number of um, our brothers and sisters in Christ who've gone to be with uh, the Lord. Many of our church family have lost their own family members. And so it was good before Christmas, wasn't it, to come together in that memorial service to, to remember them and to seek the Lord's comfort and strength in our loss. The COVID pandemic was a reminder that life is fragile. We know that we will all one day die, but none of us knows how long it will be before that day comes. And however long or short that may be, as we look ahead to the rest of our lives, we should be asking ourselves the question, how are we going to spend our days? What is the most important thing to us in our lives? Well, in our psalm this evening, it's pretty clear in the first two verses what is important to the psalmist. It says, praise the Lord, or hallelujah. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. We're in the middle of a sermon series looking at psalms of praise. And this evening we've come on to the so-called hallelujah psalms. So cool because they each start with that word, hallelujah, or praise the Lord. Many of the other psalms are, are laments in which the psalmist expresses his struggles with the, the challenges of life and his need to trust in God through them. But as we come to the end of the book of Psalms, the tone becomes more upbeat, as if it's a picture of, of hope for the future and for eternity. A preparation for an eternity of praising God. So Psalm 146 starts with a corporate call to, to God's people to worship. Praise the Lord. Before the psalmist calls his own soul to worship. Praise the Lord, my soul. The soul is what the psalmist refers to in Psalm 103 as my inmost being. Sometimes referred to in the Bible as the heart. The psalm starts with a call and then moves on to an individual promise. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. So what does it look like for us to say, I will praise the Lord all my life? What does it look like to live a life of praise to God? Or three things we're going to look at this evening that come out from this, this psalm. First of all, a life of praise is devoted to God. If we have been saved from eternal wrath, then our whole being will inevitably be devoted to praising our Savior, the one who saved us from that. That becomes our purpose for, for living. 
to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Jesus summed up the commandments by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. In other words, with your whole being and love your neighbor as yourself. If we love God with our whole being, then we will want to express that love in praise and thanksgiving on our own and with the rest of God's people. And it's a wonderful privilege isn't it, to come together this evening to, to do just that. There are lots of ways in which we can express our praise for God. What it looks at here is sung praise. He says, I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Sung praise is often a fuller expression of our praise for God because it, music has that capacity to, to involve all of our emotions in it. Christians will often disagree on what a worship service should, should look like, both in terms of the style of music and uh, the structure of a service, because we're all made differently. But one thing we should all agree on is that what is most important to God as we come to praise him and worship him is the state of our hearts. Is our praise genuine? Are we pra- praising God from our inner being? Or are we just going through the motions? Have we prepared our hearts to, to meet with God? It doesn't matter how well or badly we sing, which may be a comfort to some here. We may be, may be terribly off key, but if our soul is in the right place, then our praise will be glorifying to God. If we come to praise with the right attitude, then what else is important to God? What else is our praise glorifies him? I think two things have to come together. And so it's important we pray for these things before we do meet with God, before we worship him. Firstly, that the truth about God, his nature, his awesome deeds, that that is clearly proclaimed, that that is understood, that the Holy Spirit enables us to understand it. But secondly, that that truth touches our hearts. So we respond in wonder, in delight, in obedience. That's when praise becomes true worship. There's an element of surrender and submission to God. If the truth is understood with our minds but doesn't touch our hearts, then the worship will be dry and emotionless. And God won't be glorified because there'll be no evidence that the worshippers are really enjoying him. Likewise, if there's a lot of over-the-top emotion and no rich understanding of God and his nature and what he's done for us, then God won't be glorified either because the worship is superficial. It's not much different from the emotion we experience when we go to a music concert. Our musicians can lead us in worship, and they do a great job in that. They can try and point us to God, but they can't change our hearts. We need to be praying that God will be changing us from within. Sincere worship not only glorifies God, it's a, a great encouragement to, to those around us. They may not find our singing particularly tuneful, but they will sense if we are entering into joyful worship with our hearts. And that will help to move their hearts. Um, so don't just approach worship with a, a, a vertical attitude that's just about me and God but with a horizontal, a horizontal attitude 
that I'm here to encourage others in their worship. The other thing to say is that it should not just be sung worship that touches our heart when we gather together. The reading, the preaching of God's word is, is also worship. And so when God's word is preached, we should also be praying that, that hearts are touched, that emotions are filled with a love for God and a delight in him. I'm sure we've all known times when we're, we're not in a good place and we found it hard to, to worship. Uh, that may be because we've just gone a bit astray in our faith. Which is why I think the psalmist here is also trying to maybe correct us and point us back to the Lord. And he does that by saying, in our second point, that a life of praise trusts in God's present help and his eternal hope rather than in human beings. Look down at verse 3. It says, Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who, who cannot save, when their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. What does it mean to put our trust in a, in a human being? Well, the first type of human being that's mentioned here is a, is a prince. In other words, someone in, in leadership who has the power and authority to, to make decisions. Equivalent in our situation would be our, our prime minister, the government. As we heard last Sunday morning when we were looking at Romans 13, we need to submit to the governing authorities because they've been established by God. Unless they call us to do something which goes against God's word or they prevent us from leading a life of worship, then we should obey the law of the land. But what does the psalmist mean here when he says, don't trust them? Well, it means that although they have a role to perform in terms of governing our country, providing stability and security, enabling society to function, they are not God. They are finite human beings. Their wisdom is, is limited. Their character, like all of ours, is affected by sin. And they would one day die. They cannot help us when it comes to our eternity. In short, they cannot save. Who are the other human beings that we might be tempted to put our trust in? Well, ourselves. Uh, we might think we know best and follow our desires instead of God's perfect plans for us. Maybe we want to put our trust in our husband or, or our wife. Maybe we think they will give us all we, we need in life, and so we go into a marriage with an idealized view of what it will be like without realizing we're all flawed. Maybe other Christians. We might look up to someone who seems such a godly person, and when they fail, it knocks our faith because we hadn't realized just how much we were under their influence. So who should we put our, our trust in? Well, there's only one who, it says here in verse 6, remains faithful forever. We can trust him because he is truth. And the literal translation here is he keeps truth forever. And that, of course, is God. And like humans who have a hazy memory of, of what was said or done, who consciously or unconsciously distort the truth when they report what's happened, God sees everything. He knows 
everything. He knows what we need. He never lets us down. The name used to describe him in this psalm is the Lord. That is the the covenant name for God, the relational name for God. The name that refers to his promise to his people that he will be their God forever. So in contrast to putting our trust in princes and human beings, we're told in verse 5, blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is is in the Lord, their God. A life of praise is one which trusts God to provide for all of our needs, our physical needs and our spiritual needs, our present needs and our eternal needs. Let's have a look at how God helps those in need in verses 6 to 9. It says, He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the way of the wicked. He's the maker of heaven and earth. And the first thing to praise God for in the psalm is the fact that not only did he make the, the world and, and everything in it, he also made us. And even though the world was, is not now as it was before the fall, God helps those who have been affected by living in a, in a world that is broken. It goes on to say he upholds the cause of the oppressed. As we'll see in the Open Doors video later, 360 million Christians in the world are persecuted, are oppressed for their faith. God is there for them. He helps them remain firm in their faith. He continues to build his church in countries which oppress his people. And he will one day bring them justice, even if by then they have already gone to be with him. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The reason there are hungry people in the world is because of the greed of, of human beings, because of the divide between the rich and the poor, because of corruption in countries which receive aid, but um, where that aid doesn't get to those in need. And yet God still provides. He he still sends the rain. He causes the sun to shine to enable crops to grow. He sets prisoners free. There are many Christians throughout the world in prison because of their faith. About 70,000 in North Korea alone. The thing is, though, we know that God doesn't set every prisoner free. He doesn't enable every blind person to see physically so what are these verses here referring to well in Luke's gospel in the New Testament we were told that uh, when Jesus started his ministry on earth the first thing he did was was read from the prophet Isaiah he read these words he said the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news 
to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. It's not just freedom for those who are captives in another country. It is freedom for those who cannot see. It is freedom for those who are oppressed. When Jesus came, he gave physical sight back to the blind through his miraculous healing. He came to free those oppressed by illness, such as the paralyzed. He came to free those oppressed by social exclusion, such as the lepers. But the true freedom that Jesus came to bring, the good news is freedom from spiritual blindness or darkness. He came to help people see that by following him, they will be free to choose life instead of death. We no longer need to be captives to our own selfish human desires. We can be free to, to love God and love others more than ourselves. Going back to Psalm 146, it says, The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. Jesus said, <clears throat> Those who humble themselves will be exalted. In other words, they will be lifted up. To humble oneself is to say, I can't help myself. And there is no other human being who can help me. You, Lord, are the only one who can help me. You are the only one who can save me. And I put my hope in you as the one who loves me, verse 8, who watches over me, sustains me, protects me, verse 9, who will reign forever, verse 10. What we see in this passage is God's heart of compassion for the needy, for the oppressed, the hungry, the imprisoned, the blind, the bowed down, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And although God's people in these situations may not experience release in this lifetime, they're promised an eternity of peace and fullness without pain or sadness or death. And that's a wonderful hope, isn't it, that we have, an eternal hope in the Lord our God. But it does still leave the question, well, how do we live a life of praise now in this broken world with all this sadness and pain around us? Which brings us on to the last point, a life of praise points people to Jesus as we, his people, show his care and compassion. We can't save people like Jesus can. That's not in our power, but we can point them to Jesus as the one who can save them. And that's the most loving thing that we can do for them. And we need to keep on praying for those who, who are lost, that God would have saved them, that God would equip us and use us for that purpose and one of the ways in which we do point Jesus to, point people to Jesus is by following his example in care and compassion. As finite human beings, we are limited in terms of the help we can offer. But we should pray for wisdom to God to, to know how to use what God has given us to help others. For example, who are the oppressed? 
Maybe someone we know experiencing domestic abuse or still suffering from the trauma of it. Maybe someone experiencing discrimination in the workplace. They need our help. Who are the hungry? Maybe somebody reliant we know on the, on the food bank. It's great to be able to give to, to the food bank in Tame to support financially or prayerfully Christian organizations like Tear Fund, providing relief to the hungry throughout the world. Who are the imprisoned? It could be those literally in prison, and maybe God is calling us to get involved in prison ministry. It could be those imprisoned by addiction who can't break free. How can we help them? We'll be talking about that more on Thursday in our members meeting. Who are the blind? At a spiritual level, that is everyone who doesn't know Jesus. But at a physical level, that's everybody who has a, a disability. Liz and I went recently to a restaurant called Don Le Noir, which, if you know your French, means in the dark. It was literally pitch black. You couldn't see your plate, your cutlery, your glass, or even your food. You had to rely on your sense of taste to know what you were eating. You were led to your table by a blind person. It was a challenging insight into the life of somebody who is blind, who cannot see. How can we gain a better understanding of what it's like to live with a disability, whatever that disability may be? Who are the bowed down? Maybe those with depression, anxiety, other mental health issues. And we will all know those around us, those in our lives, how can we seek to lift them up and encourage them? Who are the foreigners? Maybe it's the foreign refugee who's struggling with what is going on back in their own country and struggling to fit into this country. Or maybe it's just the outsider. It's great to see more recently people coming to this church from a more diverse social background with greater social needs Are we ready to offer them hospitality, give them the help that they need? Who are the fatherless and the widows? We know them in our church, don't we? How can we help them and support them practically as well as help them overcome their loneliness through our friendship and love? One of the most challenging passages in the Bible is that one in Matthew 25, which says this. I want to turn to Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. 
I was ill, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in, or, or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he speaks to those on his left and says, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. Well, as we finish, a life of praise is not just a life of singing God's praises together with his people, but it's a life that's devoted to God. A life that trusts in God's present help and eternal hope rather than in other human beings. It's a life that points people to Jesus as the only one who truly can save as we show his care and his compassion. Let's pray. Father God, you are a a wonderful God. You're not just a God who has made us a God who we know will reign forever. But you're a God who will be faithful forever. A God who promises to to help us because you are a God of love and compassion. We thank you for the heart that you have for the needy, the heart you have for the lost. And Father, we pray that we would have that same heart. That as we praise you for your wonderful compassion, your wonderful character. That we would live lives of praise in which we demonstrate that that love and compassion to others. So Lord, help us to look to you. Help us to have that same heart that we will glorify you in all that we say and do. Lord, help us to look out for those in need and love them as you have loved us. And Lord, we pray that we would lead them to Christ uh, as their saviour, that they would know in him the one who satisfies all their needs, the one who gives us eternal hope. We praise you for him. Amen.